Well, the current federal parliamentary session wrapped up this week. You may have noticed uh, they're all off on the barbecue and picnic circuit now. It marked the end of the first months of an agreement between the Liberals and the NDP. You'll remember that as well, announced back in late March. Under that deal, the NDP agreed to support the Liberal government on confidence votes in exchange for cooperation on some of their priorities. Just this week, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, though, was attacking the Liberals over allegations of government interference in the Nova Scotia mass shooting. A report published Tuesday by the inquiry investigating the tragedy includes notes that suggest the RCMP commissioner promised to release information on the weapons used in the rampage to support pending liberal government control gun control legislation. Uh, Jagmeet Singh was quite critical this week. Still, the conservatives have called it a coalition. It's not technically a coalition because the NDP don't have anyone in cabinet, but it certainly is a pretty cozy agreement. They've mocked the NDP for surrendering its role as a watchdog to instead support the party. It spent the last election trying to defeat. Well, with a look back at the last session, the deal with the Liberals, the political interference or the allegations of in that RCMP investigation in Nova Scotia and much, much more. Joining me now is federal NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh. Thanks so much for your time tonight. My pleasure. I guess uh, just your reaction to the big news of the day, which, of course, is the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade and what impact it could have here. Uh, what is your reaction to that and how should Canadians look at that judgment and, and then abortion rights in our own country? It's a, it's a horrible decision, and I can't imagine what it feels like for people in the States right now to know that fundamental human rights have been attacked, the right to choose what to do with your body has been attacked, and it's been an attack on women specifically as well. It is just unimaginable in a modern country that this is even still a question, that women don't have the right to do, to have control of their own bodies. What it reminds us is that rights are very fragile. We have to be vigilant. So we have to be vigilant here in Canada as well to defend our right. But in Canada, in in addition to defending the right, we have to be very vigilant to defend access to the right, which is really in peril in Canada, not just for rural or remote communities where it is very difficult to access abortion services, but there are provinces where even major cities don't have sufficient access to services. So that's really our major concern right now in, in Canada is making sure we have access to the right and we have to remain always vigilant to protect these fundamental freedoms. Since the Supreme Court of Canada's decision came down many years ago now, decades ago now, there's, there has been no legislation in place to try and codify this. Um, is it time for that to happen or if not, why not? Our, our laws are quite different and our courts are quite different. We don't have the same politicized court system where there is a politicization uh, of the Supreme Court. So our decisions and our our jurisprudence is quite stable. The ruling worked into Section 7 of the Charter, so uh, a liberty of of our person, of our bodies. So it's a very strong decision, and the right is strong. Uh, So I'm very confident that the right is well-protected in Canada. We could always look at other ways to strengthen it. But my focus really in Canada would be on access to the right. That's where we're seeing more challenges, where uh, a city like Fredericton in New Brunswick, the services that were provided at one of the only clinics providing it were not funded by the provincial government as they should be under the Canada Health Act. Those are some of the areas where we want to see the federal government step up and use the levers in the Canada Health Act to make sure provinces are delivering that type of service, and making sure that there's more access across the country. One of the reasons why we said with our Pharmacare plan that we've obtained in the agreement, why we're proposing to start with emergency 
uh, birth control, uh, emergency uh, and medication is that would be a uh, plan B access and make that free, make that accessible. That would be a tool to provide better access for, for women and for people to, to be able to access that type of service. So those are some of the things that we should focus on in Canada. Uh, the right, though, remains very strong. Um, you do have the ear of the government these days, thanks to your supply and confidence agreement. Uh, what would you propose be done to try and pressure the provinces? Healthcare, obviously, is a provincial jurisdiction, but what would you propose be done to try to make sure that that access is improved in places where it is not uh, as good as it could be? So so one concretely would be uh, when we start with our pharmacare uh, plan and the, and the framework that we've included in the agreement, so taking steps forward on pharmacare, would be to cover things like the Plan B uh, pill and make sure that's free and that's accessible to everyone in the country. That would be one concrete step to increase accessibility. The second, um, and, and also equally very important, is that we have tools with the Canada Health Act to put levers on provinces that aren't delivering the care that they should be. Uh, there's extreme steps as well as with withholding financing in total, but uh, we don't need to even go to that point. There's other tools that could be applied that would lever or put pressure on provinces to deliver the care that they should be. So the example that we've given, uh, the Fredericton example, where there was a clinic, uh, I visited that clinic, and it was receiving funding, it was cut off, and that funding was not uh, reestablished, and it threatened that this clinic would no longer be able to continue. That's an example of where the federal government could put more pressure on the province to reinstate that funding. I know you're headed, uh, you'll be in Nova Scotia. There's been a lot of talk this week about uh, things unfolding in Nova Scotia, some evidence presented at the Mass Casualty Commission regarding if or if not, uh, whether pressure was placed on uh, RCMP at H Division in Nova Scotia regarding um, gun legislation just after the uh, horrific shootings in 2020. Uh, you, you had some pretty strong words about that. What would you like to see done? What? How do we get to the bottom of this one, do you think? Well, it, would, it is appalling to Canadians that something as horrible as the mass shooting, which is the worst mass shooting in Canada's history, was used for a political means. We want gun control to be based on evidence, based on keeping Canadians safer, not as a political wedge and not as something that is being politicized by parties. That, that just should not happen. There's no, there's no question. I feel almost... It's absurd that I'm even saying the words that, that uh, the worst mass shooting in Canada should not be used as a, as a political tool to wedge and bring in gun control over a, a, a politicized wedge. So that's something that Canadians want to know. If there was interference, uh, did it happen? How did it happen? Why did it happen? Who, who's under whose direction? Uh, if it did happen, under whose direction did it happen? These are all questions that, that need to be answered. Canadians ought to know and have a right to know. And uh, given the uh, mounting evidence that the, that the RCMP commissioner who's raised this allegation is someone who's quite credible, and there's a lot of evidence to support or a lot of witnesses that have come forward to, to, to reinforce his credibility, it just enhances the intensity of this question. So we want to see answers. We want to see this government held to account and find out what actually happened. Do you buy the, the what you've heard so far from the Prime Minister, from Minister Bill Blair, from Marco Mendocino, from the Commissioner of the RCMP herself? Do you buy uh, how they've framed this so far as sort of uh, either he misinterpreted, uh, Superintendent uh, in, in Nova Scotia either misinterpreted this? Do you, do you buy those or do you feel like we very much need to get to the bottom of this? Are there questions that haven't been answered yet, do you think? I think at this point, it's pretty clear that there's questions that haven't been answered. 
And the contradiction of the two stories really leads Canadians to the point that, well, we need to know exactly what happened. And, and really to make it clear that Canadians do not want to see something like a horrific mass shooting be used as a political tool. It, sh- it should not be that. And it really raises suspicion for, for legal gun owners. And, and that's not what we want. We want people to have trust and faith in the institutions and the decisions that are being made to keep Canadians safe. We don't want people uh, who are suspicious if, if things are being done as political wedge. Uh, and it should not be when it comes to something as serious as gun control and as something as serious as the mass shooting that happened in Nova Scotia. This Liberal government's often been accused of using certain hot-button topics such as gun control and abortion as wedge issues. Do you see that? Do you worry that this government that you've uh, entered into the supply confidence and supply agreement with uh, does divide and conquer at times or does divide and rule at times? And this may be another example of it. Well, wedges are, are, are happen in politics when there's a difference of opinion, but it shouldn't be on things that, that, are, that are very clearly unifying points. Uh, public health, for example, was something I was quite disappointed when both conservatives and liberals, frankly, were trying to wedge over public health. Wearing a mask and getting vaccinated are not politically affiliated positions. They are public safety and universally accepted as, or universally supported by healthcare professionals as healthy measures, as measures taken to keep people safe. So those are the things that I, I, I really disturb it whenever they're made into a political wedge because they should not be. That's just following the best advice from, from scientists and people who have looked at the evidence. And that's what I want to encourage. Uh, I, I also am concerned when things are done just for uh just for the noise or just to make a point as opposed to actually making a concrete difference. Uh, Gun control should be done in a way that keeps Canadians safer, not as a way to score points. And the right to an abortion should be about making sure women and people that need access have access to the services, not as a, as a, a point to be made or a rhetorical point, but really it should be about making sure people in this country can access the services if they need it. And, and that's where my focus would be. I'm speaking with Jugmeet Singh this half hour. He, of course, is the leader of the federal NDP. Uh, we've been talking about the Roe v. Wade decision in the U.S. today, access to abortion in this country, as well as allegations uh, that the Liberal government put undue pressure on the RCMP commissioner, who then put that pressure on the RCMP to disclose the kinds of weapons used in that mass shooting in Nova Scotia in 2020 as a way of forwarding their gun uh, control policies. Um, uh, how is the how has this confidence and supply agreement worked so far? And when you see situations like the allegations over the RCMP situation, is there a time where you think mm, that might this might be the time to bail out of this? The uh, confidence and supply agreement is going well. The, the goal of this agreement was to use our power to get some help for Canadians. And starting this year, the two concrete pieces that we've been able to secure are an increase to the Canadian housing benefit of $500 to go to about a million Canadian families that need help with their rent or their housing. And the second uh, key victory for Canadians and for people across the country is the dental program, which will be kids 12 and under will be able to get their teeth looked after for free. Those two have been 
committed to, money is in the budget, and so it's been allocated, and we are working on the delivery program. So this is going to happen before the end of the year. In exchange, we knew that up front we would have to support certain legislation that we already supported, but to help passage of that legislation. Uh, so we did that. Those are bills that we supported, and we allowed for quick passage. And we continued to provide stability in a time when people are dealing with the cost of living going up and a war in Ukraine that makes all of us feel a little less safe. So in that sense, this is a, an agreement that is going well for Canadians. We're getting them the help they need, but we remain an independent opposition party so we can call witnesses in committee, call out uh, the mistakes of this government, use the pressure that we have, the tools that we have to highlight things like the allegations against the government in terms of interference in the RZMP investigation and use the parliament to bring forward witnesses to find out what actually happened. So nothing in the deal precludes us from being able to hold the government to account. In fact, we expressly included language that says we are an opposition party. We will be voting against government bills and we are prepared to hold the government to account and we can continue to do that. At some point, if the government doesn't deliver on what they promised, we're prepared to pull our support. But right now, we are very confident that Canadians will get help. And that help was only achieved because we made it happen in this agreement. Is that trade-off, though, worth it if you're dealing with a government that appears to be at times ethically, ethically challenged? Is the trade-off worth it for the NDP? Well, if the government is ethically making mistakes, uh, those that will come forward. We will use all the tools we have to expose those and let Canadians know about them and make sure that that is front and center uh, what we know is that Canadians elected two minority governments in a row, and they elected us to work together. They didn't elect us to before even a year uh, before after the last election to then cause another election. But they want us to hold governments to account. So we'll use the tools we have in this minority government, which gives us significant tools. We've got the majority on committees. We can vote in a way that that holds the government to account. The governments can't. The government can't overrule witnesses that we want to call. They can't vote against uh, decisions we make for accountability in committee using their majority because they don't have one. So, in fact, we're in a very good position to hold the government to account and make sure that they uh, come clean on what happened. And then Canadians can make their choice around uh, their impressions of this government. Uh, before I let you go, I want to talk about civility and politics. I noticed you had your daughter Anhad in, uh, in Parliament the other day, and uh, you're a family man now with a young family. There's been some uh, unfortunate incidents, some ugly incidents involving you, or at least one, in the past few months. How has this been for the last three months? Are you noticing a change in the civility in politics that is that is disturbing? I mean, just for you personally, has it been a tough, uh, tough little while? Well, I've, I've always noticed uh, challenges uh, based on, I guess, the way I look and who I am, and I've, I've had challenges. Uh, but I would say, by and large, uh, Canadians are folks that care about one another, want to make sure their neighbors are better off. I've seen lots of, of great examples of good citizenship. And, and I travel across the country, often with my family, and we've received lots of positive reception and uh, really warm people that have come up and, and shared their stories and talked about how the work we're doing is helping them. So by and large, I feel like Canada has shown a, a great example of a country where uh, political leaders can can walk around and, and be in public. But what I am seeing that's disturbing, uh, some of the examples that you alluded to, what happened in Peterborough was, was very intense. Uh, I've experienced worse in my life, but Politically, it was one of the most intense, the most intense experience. A lot of anger, a lot of swearing, a lot of aggression, uh, and, and veiled threats of violence. 
Uh, that to me is very troubling because while I was comfortable in that sitting, I'm a trained martial artist, I weigh 200 pounds, workout lots. Uh, that should not be the criteria. Someone shouldn't have to be a trained martial artist who's gone through lots of violent situations in their life to qualify as being able to be in public because there's such tension and aggression. Though it's a minority, what I'm noticing is there's a difference between, between people saying we disagree with your decisions, pro protesting a government policy or a vote on a particular bill and just uh, an aggressive anger, burn it all down, you know, you should die and, and, the, and the violence and aggression that some small communities or small groups of people are doing are bringing forward. That to me is troubling and it shouldn't be that people are afraid and I'm worried about racialized people, women, people from already vulnerable communities that are now looking at politics and thinking, you know what, it's not for me. It looks too scary and there's too much at stake if you have to go out in public. That to me is troubling and I, and I don't want to see that continue. Jagmeet Singh, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you.